Raghu, thank you so much for coming on to Startup Steroid today. I'm really excited to interview you. It took us a couple of tries to make the connection, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited that we finally have you on the line. Um, today, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk to founders and uh, give them uh, solid, actionable advice on what they need to do, uh, how they need to approach accelerators, how they need to approach investors. Um, we'll also have some tip for new investors who are just starting out, who might be making their first, second investment right now. Um, but before we get into all of those actionable advices, let's start with your background and uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you sort of uh, came into this industry. Uh, happy Sunday, uh, Dhawal. It's such a pleasure. Uh, you know, it's been fun, you know, working with you. Anshuman and Ashish, you know, with Thai, but more importantly, you know, I've had so much fun talking about, you know, this wonderful endeavor that, you know, you guys have launched in Startup Steroids. Uh, again, it's such a pleasure to be on the uh, Startup Steroids platform as well as with Thai, you know, Los Angeles region. Uh, in terms of my background, you know, I've got quite a varied background. You know, I even as a kid, you know, I grew up you know, between uh, England and India, you know, I have my father, grandfather, and they, and we have some English lineage further up our, uh, you know, in our, uh, you know, three generations up. So as a kid, you know, I grew up between uh, UK and India, but I've come from a generation of uh, mining engineers. So growing up, you know, you know, come from a generation, you know, where typically you follow the footsteps of your father or grandfather, etc. So in my undergrad days, at one point, I was interested in becoming an aerospace engineer, but ended up following my dad and granddad's footsteps, you know. Uh, so I went to high school, you know, I was academically very gifted. So I went to one of the best schools in Eastern India, extremely competitive, probably one of the most competitive schools to get into. But early days, you know, I did spend some of my formative years, formative years in England, uh, finished my high school, and then my undergrad is from a school that used to be called Royal School of Mines, which in due course of time, Indian School of Mines, which is now an IIT, which, you know, we all know is, you know, the top tier engineering schools in India. So I finished my undergrad in mining and petroleum, Worked in industry for two years. Again, part of my experience in India and part of it in Europe. But I never liked the field, uh, so I was all you know, always focused, you know, in a, in coming to grad, graduate school, followed with an MBA. So I knew early on I'm going to do that. So I applied to graduate schools in India, US, and UK, and I got into schools in all the three places. But I chose the United States. And this was in 1986-87. I got into Imperial College London, and I was very close to going there, but I chose Columbia University, New York. So I came to the U.S. in 1986, December, and I did two back-to-back -back graduate degrees, but my early days of entrepreneurship were sown right there. So my first degree was in a combination of computer science, mathematics, with mineral engineering, Columbia University. I was there for two semesters, but all three of my advisors, you know, moved up in their career value chain. You know, one became uh, head of school of mineral engineering. 
at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. So, you know, he pulled, so Dr. Professor Donald Cook, he moved to Alaska, and then all of my three graduate advisors, you know, Professor uh, Scott Huang and Professor Mitunja Sengupta, they all moved to University of Alaska Fairbanks. So eventually wow. graduated, I transferred from Columbia to University of Alaska, finished my MS. I followed it up back to back with an MBA from University of Illinois. So my MBA was funded by a German company called Biosdorf, you know, better known for the Nivea uh, cream. Uh, you know, they were a pretty big company now. They're about a $10 billion company, but my MBA was funded by them. So I finished my MBA in 1992, you know, and had some, you know, world-class experience, summer internships and even winter internships, you know, including, you know, exposure to, you know, world-class manufacturing and early days, if you know what, CAD CAM, which is computer-assisted design yeah. and manufacturing. And what had happened was Biosdorf had acquired an Anglo-American tape company called Tessa Tuck company out of Illinois, you know, they had six plants around the world, uh, in Germany, in uh, England, in France, and, and three plants in the US. So early days, you know, I got some really good exposure for world-class manufacturing with ERP, you know, and uh, robotics, you know, and you know, the US, Anglo-US companies, you know, was not as advanced, you know, so they brought in world-class manufacturing. So yeah. fast-tracking quickly, you know, I, you know, moved into management consulting after four years at Biosdorf. I moved, I moved to KPMG, you know, did uh, corporate finance and manufacturing related ERP for three years. Met my wife in the mid nineties. She's of Indian origin. Uh, she has a PhD in uh, macromolecular biology. She's a very smart woman. She went to IIT Madras and Indian Institute of Science, you know, which is probably India's premier, you know, you know science institute. So we met in the U.S. though. She was doing a postdoc at MIT and uh, Purdue, which is where we met. We met at uh, East Meets West concert. We had some big names like Ravi Shankar, Pandit Ravi Shankar, yep. George Harrison, etc. So that's where we met. So I was at KPMG those days. You know, uh, she was at Purdue. We got married in '95 and moved to San Diego in '95 December. And since then, we've been uh, based in San Diego. Uh, so in 96, I moved to Oracle. I was at Oracle for a number of years. I was in uh, ERP. I was in data warehousing, business intelligence, which is the current generation of AI ML. Uh, I was there for four years. Also got involved you know, with a lot of the Y2K problems back in the day, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And the new millennia was dawning upon us. Yeah. Uh, and that's where, you know, I started getting into entrepreneurship. What happened was, if you remember, Dhaval uh, in the late 90s, Oracle and uh, HP and Sun Microsystems were strategic partners. Mm -hmm. uh, Apple as well. You know, uh, Steve Jobs was coming back into Apple after his exit, you know, from from uh, Next. Next, yeah. So, yeah, he, so, you know, Larry Ellison and Steve Jobs, you know, are very, very, you know, tight friends. So, if you remember, you know, the 
advertisement for Sun Microsystems where we are in the dot in the dot com. So I got right. involved with a lot of startups which used to use, you know, the Java driven framework, open source software on top of Oracle and Sun Microsystems. So, you know, Oracle and Mike Sun, you know, would sponsor and give away software, you know, to garner and, you know, help, you know, fuel the next generation of innovation. So that's how I got into startup. So while at Oracle, I was involved in a startup. I was at a sabbatical Oracle where I became founding CIO for a San Diego-based company in market research. Uh, that's how, you know, I got interested in the world of entrepreneurship. Right. So I, came, I went back to Oracle. That company is doing pretty well, though. The company is called Luth Research. Today, it's a 100 million plus company. And it's still the work I did. I was there for six months as a CIO, you know, on, on, a, on a contract basis through Oracle because Oracle had invested in them and they given right. the, you know, hardware and the software. That company okay. is still doing pretty good, but that's what gave me a taste of entrepreneurship. So post Oracle, I moved to Morgan Stanley, my former boss, Daryl Davis and uh, Vince Ferrari, you know, they were at Oracle and they moved into Morgan Stanley as head of business and CIO. And that was the online division of Morgan Stanley Dean Vera that had merged. Mm. And that was, you know, Morgan Stanley Dean Vera online, which basically, you know, enabled uh, people, you know, high net worth individuals, you know, family offices, you know, billionaires, uber wealthy people to manage their own investment, do online research, you know, manage their in investment properties, you know, and be more proactive in managing their investments, yet having the advantage of, you know, world-class, you know, financial advisory relationship. Right. So I was brought on to roll out the, so Morgan Stanley Dean we were online, was well entrenched in the uh, both the uh, U.S. markets uh, in Nasdaq and NYSE, but Morgan Stanley and Dean Wheeler were looking to roll it out in other you know key financial markets, specifically Europe. So uh, Daryl and uh, Vinnie Ferrari they brought me on to lead the rollout into the European uh, major financial exchanges. So. I joined them as vice president of software and I rolled out the Morgan Stanley Denver online in six key European markets. And I was also instrumentally you known in setting up a back office technology in outsourcing into Mumbai and Bangalore. So it was a phenomenal exposure, you know, at the global level. And we grew quickly, you know, I, I rolled out the software in uh, London Stock Exchange, Paris Stock Exchange, uh, Frankfurt, uh, Madrid, Amsterdam, and Dublin, six key exchanges. Yeah. And we grew phenomenally, you know, uh, over a period of five years, Morgan Stanley Derivative Online was generating more than $200 million in revenues globally, more than 10 million trades a day, phenomenal success. Then 9-11 happened. If you remember, mm -hmm. Morgan Stanley Derivative was the largest tenant in World Trade Center. Yeah. So, and that was the second attack on World Trade Center. So Morgan Stanley was already, you know, had experienced that back in 96. Yeah. When the World Trade Center was attacked in 93, I think. Ni 90, so, yeah, 93. Yeah. 
So unfortunately, you know, that was, you know, gut-wrenching experience. I lost three team members who worked for me directly in Wow. I used to report, and I used to work between the World Trade Center building, San Francisco and London. So at that point, and I was traveling back from UK, I landed in California on September 9th. I was supposed to travel to New York on 12th. But luckily, you know, because Morgan Stanley had gone through the experience earlier, you know, uh, we had uh, four levels of failover, you know. So we, of course, you know, we were gutted that we, you know, we lost three valuable team members. But then, you know, we didn't, you know, lose a single transaction. Because, you know, all our failovers rolled into our data centers in Utah. Right. So not a single transaction was lost. And we were able to track everybody, you know, because we had that kind of, you know, business continuity planning and failover. Yep. So the reason I'm sharing, you know, is that I've been through, you know, some really, you know, uh, experiences, you know, that people experience once in a hundred years. Yeah. It was, you know, really, you know, you know, puts in perspective, you know, the larger sense of life, you know, the friendship, the value of relationships. So anyway, you know, so post that, you know, Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter online business, you know, started to slow down. And in, in the, you know, our, by the summer of 2002, our business, you know, had shrunk to about $55 million from a peak of 200 million before 9-11. So right. Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter Online was rolled back into the parent. Right. So I continued to work with Morgan Stanley until 2003 summer. And, you know, uh, our son back in 2003 had a major, you know, health issue back in 2003, you know. So once in a, you have these, you know, key things that happens in life, you know, so I was running all over the world, you know, and became very hard on my, my, my wife, who is also, like I said, you know, a world-class, you know, genomic scientist and, uh, you know, uh, bioinformatics, you know, uh, a researcher. It was tough, you know, with me running around. So I ended up becoming a consultant at Morgan Stanley. So that's when, you know, I had my first run as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur. So in 2003, I launched my first business as a, it was a tech, you know, strategic business and technology consulting company focused in fintech. We used to call it, you know, uh, back then, you know, we used to call it, you know, purely a business and technology consulting firm, but technically those were, it was financial technologies before the term fintech was coined. Right. So over three years, you know, I had a phenomenal team, you know, some of my former colleagues at Morgan Stanley, Oracle, KPMG, who, you know, who I brought on. And over three years, you know, we grew it into a $15 million business. We had phenomenal clients like Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, uh, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, you know, some of the biggest names in the space, Wells Fargo, Schwab, Standard & Poor's, uh, Deutsche Bank, etc. So in 2006, so we were bidding for a big project at Morgan Stanley. And we were one of 20 companies, uh, went through the first round and the second round, it came down to four of us. And we were against some big players. McKinsey, we were up against Accenture and uh, an Indian company, TCS. The right. project eventually went to McKinsey but McKinsey looked at us closely 
and they made an offer to acquire us. So that was my first exit as an entrepreneur. It acquired for, you know, for a decent, you know, multi-million dollars. Three of us ended up, you know, joining McKinsey and I brokered, you know, an opportunity for me to join McKinsey with my wife. And we wanted to move to Asia because Asia was booming. So we moved to Asia and to quickly wrap through my background, I moved with McKinsey. I started in New York and San Francisco, but then we moved to Singapore in 2006. Worked with McKinsey in the financial services, private equity, M&A, and pharma slash biotech practice for three years. In 2008, I entered my second phase as an entrepreneur. Again, you know, I joined uh, a company that was advised by McKinsey on a pro bono basis with, for the government of Singapore. We were living in Singapore and Hong Kong. So Singapore, you know, and Hong Kong never had any commodities exchange. So there was this uh, India, Hong Kong, Guangzhou based, you know, multiple multifamily offices. They had about 15 commodities exchange around Asia. So they were advised by McKinsey and I joined hands with a guy called Linus Co. and an Indian billionaire called Jignesh Shah out of Bombay. They brought me on to be founding CIO for Singapore Mercantile Exchange. So we launched the exchange in 2008 fall. Over three years, you know, we grew it into a company, you know, that was doing about $3 billion in trade. And in, at the end of 2011, we, were, we had an offer from uh, ICE, which is the Intercontinental Exchange, which is now the largest financial exchange ecosystem in the world or 150 million plus. So that was my second exit as an entrepreneur. So that's how you know I've been very passionate about, about entrepreneurship. To quickly to close out my background, my last big corporate role, my family had moved back to the US. My wife had a two year uh, sabbatical at Scripps and she works at Scripps. She's been with Scripps since 95, which is what brought wow. us to San Diego, like yeah. I told you. Uh, you know, we came, she, when I came back to the U.S. after the acquisition of uh, Singapore Mercantile Exchange, uh, you know, I went back to Wall Street, did a couple of consulting gigs, but you know, I want to go back to corporate, but didn't find any big opportunities. So, my last big corporate role was what I was with. Uh, I knew this family office out of Hyderabad called the Varalvarvar family. You know, I know uh, the the son and. Uh, the son-in-law of the founder, they went to school with me at IIT in India. Oh, okay. I went to IIT Kharagpur, I didn't tell you. I went to IIT Kharagpur for one year, but then I switched to Indian School of Mines because of my father, I told you. Right. Followed my father, but I was at IIT Kharagpur for one year. So I know Santosh and uh, and Rajendra Devala, who are, you know, the holding, uh, the founding family. In India, they call them the uh, the patron family because you know they hold 40 percent of the stakes they're listed right. in Dubai so I was brought on they were eyeing a couple of strategic acquisitions you know one called Yukifa out of Barcelona Mexico and New York City and you know with all my relationships in the world of you know private equity venture capital and high net worth individuals they wanted me to come on you know as head of m and and uh uh, chief strategy and operations officer. So that's what I took. So 2012 to 2016, I was there 
grew the business from about 50 million to 225 million uh made one divestiture made uh, 12 acquisitions like i told you and expanded the global footprint vv med labs was primarily in our contract manufacturing outsourcing basically they did all the you know manufacturing outsource manufacturing for generic pharmaceutical drugs for tier 1 and tier 2 pharmaceutical players you know from the us and europe but you know i was able to you know make them fully integrated you know set up you know what's called you know they were only a manufacturing shop you know but i set up r and d facility made an acquisition made you know a couple of you know what's called an api plants where you make all the formulations you know for the uh, intermediate constituents for you know uh, the final formulation of the pharmaceutical drugs mm-hmm. and the final stage you know is called an fdf you know which is where you know these intermediate pharmaceutical intermediates you know are you know converted and finished you know in the way we take the drugs you know whether in the form of a, you know a pellet you know or a gel or a cap or a capsule you know or right. a powder you got a liquid so that's called an fdf so that was a phenomenal run so 2017 you know we had some major uh, personal issues you know my father had a massive stroke my father in law was down with uh, parkinson's disease my son was entering you know it became very hard again on my wife i was you know uh, i had a you know vivi med you know i had teams in seven countries and about four continents it was a brutal lifestyle yeah it got hard you know my i all had a health issue as well so you know with my father's health with my father in law's health and i needed to slow down so looking for a transition so that is where you know i met uh people from sway ventures and nextq which have been involved for the past uh three and a half years in the uh in early 2017 mm-hmm. the last three and a half four years you know i have been a strategic investor advisor uh operator and uh, i've done some investments alongside so primarily next cubed and sway ventures are sister firms and uh they are focused in fintech they're focused in uh frontier tech ai ml cloud cybersecurity mm-hmm. uh, uh ar vr infrastructure uh and some other areas like you know computer vision a grid computing a mobility and a dig- definitely digital health and health tech right so over the last uh, so nextcube you know just to wrap up in the next minute nextcube has about a portfolio of 80 companies aum is about you know uh, 500 million plus sway ventures is a later stage company both companies run separate but sway ventures you know like a pure play uh, venture capital firm out of silicon valley they have 60 plus companies in the portfolio but they do series b series c investing so i'm more hands on spend more time with nextcube but i also you know work in deal flow uh you know pre merger post merger due diligence uh deal flow you know operations execution etc and i work closely with the sway ventures guys as well sway ventures and nextcube you know have a lot of 
you know, common board members, but they run as, you know, separate companies. But, you know, strategically, you know, they are very, you know, they're very close, they're seamlessly interlinked. You know, we have a lot of family officers invested in both. Uh, the founder of the two key founders, that's why Ventures, I know, are major investors in, in Nextcubed. But, you know, both companies run, run separately, they have independent boards. Right. So, yeah, uh, at a personal level, you know, I, at the moment, you know, I am working with about 10 companies. I'm a strategic advisor, you know, with, you know, I can, you know, share a few names of companies like Fanalyze, yep. company like, you know, Zykara. I'm also, you know, a venture partner at, you know, a venture firm called iBoss, you know, where uh, Ravi Sharma and Anand are involved. I work with, you know, with a series C company called Bitwar, which is a fintech deep learning platform. I'm yep. a strategic advisor there. And I work with a couple of companies, you know, in uh, blockchain in fintech, whose names I cannot share because, you know. Yep. <laughs> I'm also involved, you know, with uh, a world-class $150 million fund, you know, again, they're in stealth mode, but they're in regenerative medicine. And they are being uh, spun out of uh, Harvard. Okay. And they have created 10 unicorns, including Moderna and Gilead. Wow. Okay. I'm a strategic advice there as well. But that's in a nutshell me. Right. No, that, that, that's incredible. You have a absolutely amazing background and relationships all over the world. So this actually makes you perfect uh, to be an advisor in startups and to sort of guide uh, new companies. Um, now let's, you, you said you're, you, are essentially working with about 10 companies right now. What if, let's say the 11th guy is watching right now and wants to reach out to you, what are some of the criteria that you generally look for from investors in startups? Um, do you have a vision in mind uh, when you're having that conversation to see if uh, it's the right fit? Oh, that's a good question. Absolutely. You know, uh... So it's sector specific. So obviously, you know, we look at, you know, the sectors they operate in, you know, since I am focused in frontier tech, digital health tech, and, you know, and, and, and FinTech, you know, I can speak to these specific sectors. Obviously, you know, Nestcubed and Sway look beyond that too, you know, and have an eye for smarter companies. But some of the key, you know, differentiators we look for in companies is, you know, what is their, you know, uh, what's the core problem they're solving, uh, you know, how they differentiate themselves, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the competitors, you know, how big is, you know, the, the space they are targeting, the, you know, the total addressable market, the serviceable addressable market, yep. serviceable obtainable, you know, the TAM, SAM, SOM, you know, these yep. acronyms I'm sure, you know, you're aware of. We look at the team, we look at their past track record, you know, we look at the uh, people, you know, the, you know, the investors, you know, in, invested in them, if some of the key members, you know, are, you know, have had, you know, a track record as entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. have they had exits, but some of the key things, you know, that you know, really strike us, you know, as mar if they have market leadership position. You know, obviously, you know, we need, we only look at, you know, and I'll talk to both, you know, Nextcube and Sway. 
So next yep. queue, you know, we need definitely need to have an MVP in place. We definitely, you know, ideally look for companies that are post-revenue. That's not to say, you know, that that is a universal case, but definitely, you know, we look for leadership position and how quickly they can scale, how passionate they are, you know, and, and what kind of mode they have. That is very critical, right? So if they have an yep. IT. Uh, but, you know, but most importantly, you know, it's a combination of things and, and you know, how much, you know, of, you know, gut and spine, you know, and perseverance the guy you have had, guys have had. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, and I'm sure you have encountered this in the past, uh, Dhawal is we all bet on investors, right? There is no you know, guaranteed, you know, this is not like, you know, you're investing in a bond, you know, your money is protected. It's not that way. Right. So you have to, right. so Absolutely. Day, you know, you know, we are looking, we are betting on the, the founders, you know, but, but if they have, you know, some big people, you know, who have had success as entrepreneurs or a corporate backer, those yeah. things, you know, would definitely, uh, would help them. That would be big. And yeah, um, you're you're absolutely right. A lot of times, you know, the founder um, doesn't necessarily have to be the best operator, but they have to have that perseverance. They have to have that drive. And, you know, uh, because one thing we know is, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you've gone through this process, you're going to come across a lot of challenges. Uh, and, and it's still, you know, waking up every morning, uh, brushing yourself off and keep pushing, right? That that's that that's the skill set that's often lacking in in the folks that don't succeed. And I also want to highlight another important point too. Uh, sometimes what happens in and I've seen some tremendous companies fail. Uh, it's very important, you know. To we never, you know, it's very rare that you know we bet on entrepreneurs, you know, which is controlled by one single founder. Mm -hmm. You always, you know, look for, you know, multiple founders, you know, for, for one reason is sometimes, you know, success can get into the heads of founders and they become very inflexible and they, they become close-minded. And I've seen some very smart companies fail. And sometimes you know, it could be multiple founders too. Right. So there are two things, you know, one is the founders, you know, should be open-minded to, you know, let some of the control go. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying, you know, that they let control go of the company that they're building because, you know, they need to, you know, leave you know, the allowance, you know, for future investors, you know, for future strategic partners, for, you know, uh, for the right level of, you know, investors and strategic partners could even be CVCs, uh, you know, or team members who come on. But sometimes what happens is that, you know, two or more founders, you know, can become, you know, such a control freak, you know, that they become very close-minded and they, you know, don't let other people come in or, you know, it could become infighting yep. within the founders, you know, and that could lead to failures. 
that could you know lead to lack of focus and at the end of the day the smartest ideas only succeed you know if you operate execute and scale properly absolutely once you get into some of the wrong dynamics lack of focus you know that's a recipe you know for quickly you know that can you know spiral and snowball and you know businesses can fail absolutely absolutely uh that that's that's another big thing because founders have to realize that you know if they are thinking about a 5 10 year journey um there's a good chance at some point you might have to bring in a professional operator maybe a ceo maybe an executive team where you now have to sort of sit back and let them take the company to the next level because not all founders are you know capable of that and that's very well said that's very yeah. well said because most of the times we've seen founders you know have are the best you know innovators and idea creators right mm-hmm. they you know it takes another level of skill set you know to to do business development to sell yep. to scale to operate to exactly. set up the right you know to set up the right strategic partnerships you know sometimes you know you need a big you know player like take for example you know in the world of fintech you know you may you may need a goldman sachs or a or a morgan stanley as a partner then you know you need to have the savvy you know to let them you know scale the business you know and you stick to your strengths because right. you know you're not going to be able to take up on the institutional capabilities of a goldman sachs or a morgan stanley or a jp morgan right No okay. absolutely. Yep. And that I think that's another very important skill that a founder needs to have know your strengths and more importantly know your weaknesses so you can let other people take care of those weaknesses. You can't do it all. <laughs> you can't do it all. Yep, absolutely. Um so now let's talk about companies that are slightly more mature that have uh you know revenue or you know now going into series AB uh round uh fundraising grounds um what is the advice at that point um let's say now you know if the uh, the founder is still around he might have a C- ceo or ceo who's more experienced now they have a executive team that's really fun- functioning what's the next challenge that you sort of have to focus them on and how, how do they uh, scale their business uh from that point forward So that's a good question right so once you reach a series a b c level so you know you from the early days you've grown enough you know so now it's all about you know scaling the business you know if you and building your moat you know if you have you know that a product that as well that as you know uh, has beginning to work well you know now we have to realize you know how to you know enhance the the, penetra- the penetrability of the product you know how mm-hmm. to you know cross sell upsell build the right partnerships how to expand the product portfolio you know how to you know enhance the uh now if you if you if you have been fortunate you know to have market leadership position you need to think you know how you can expand on that you know look at you know new revenue streams look at you know new potential areas you know where you know with i'll give an example you know in uh, 
in financial services, I give an example in healthcare as well. So, you know, if you have, let's go to healthcare. You know, so let's say, you know, I have a software enabled, you know, a pharmaceutical company, you know, which based on, you know, an AI ML platform, you know, you found a new, it's called, you know, a new uh, NDE is called, you know, new drug, you know, enhancement mm -hmm. uh, initiative. So what they do is, you know, based on the research, you know, both based on the IP, the pattern that they've had through FDA for 10 years or 15 years, they found, they find, you know, a new area of application, which could be with a minor tweak in the original, you know, formulation of the drug. They find another use case, you know, which could be like a half a, half a billion or a billion or two, $2 billion market. Yep. So, that drug enhancement, you know, going through the FDA process, you know, could be a six to 12 month process, getting FDA approval, because they had already had, and case in point, you know, let's say, you know, Lipitor, you know, which used to be, you know, a blockbuster drug for Pfizer for years. Yep. So they have made some tweaks in the original formulation of, uh, you know, the Lipitor drug, you know, and which, you know, they have built it, you know, into, multi hundred millions of, you know, I mean, they can get, you know, a patent for a couple of years, but it still, you know, becomes, you know, substantial, you know, revenue stream for them. Right. So really, you know, companies, you know, are, are on series BC have to, you know, uh, innovate similarly, you know, the series B company whose name I can't reveal, you know, they are, in trade finance space, you know, they're still in stealth mode. They're doing about a million in revenues, but that company, you know, has built their moat around, you know, trade financing, you know, and invoice receivables, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, uh, you know, settlements of payments, in trade financing, you know, in a pre-trade, post-trade scenario. Right. But, you know, now they are moving into uh, some, you know, some other areas, you know, like, uh, they were purely in the areas of financial services, but now they're getting into, uh, you know, insurance businesses. They're getting into uh, healthcare uh, payments business. They are okay. getting into uh, medical, uh, you know, billing arena, you know, where they're trying to uh, get, you know, pre-approvals to a certain extent because, you know, uh, so they can fast track, you know, especially in uh, HMO kind of scenarios where people have to wait for a longer haul to mm -hmm. get in, you know, to get in front of a physician. Yep. If So, you know, they're using their blockchain platform, you know, to get financial approval to, to a, you know, for a minimum payment, you know, so they can break, right. you know, and get in front of the doctor sooner. So. So this is in a use case they didn't think of about six to nine months ago. Right. But they are working with an asset manager, you know, who gave them this business idea. And now, you know, they are doing a couple of, you know, uh, uh, what should I say, uh, prototypes, you know, or, uh, right. or a dry run. Right, right, right. That's such a great point that, you know, uh, at, at some point, you know, founders need to open their vision and look for those, uh, you know, 
uh, follow-on products or products that are complementary yep. to their current yep. service. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic piece of advice. Um, now, I also want to touch on the investor side. So you've been an investor for a very long time. Uh, you, you've sort of uh, advised a lot of uh, founders. If there are investors that are just starting out, let's say they're about to write their first, maybe second or third check, what piece of advice can you give them to sort of help them make that decision faster or help them sort of step into that role uh, more prepared? So as an investor, of course, you know, you have your, if you're an individual investor or even an institutional investor, you know, it's all, we live in a world, you know, where we need, you know, collective intelligence, group intelligence. So mm. as an individual investor, you want to surround yourself, you know, by fellow investors, you know, whose investment themes, not only, you know, completely overlap with yours, but also, you know, expands and is more diverse, you know, in in uh, adjacent areas. But today's world, you know, is all about, you know, networking, staying with, you know, uh, people who are smarter than you. You know, even, you know, like, you know, I'm part of uh, two or three different angel groups. I'm part of Thai. Mm -hmm. I'm part of... Uh, NextCube itself is a large investor ecosystem. I'm part of Kiritsu Forum in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. So the way these things work, you know, is it's all syndication, right? So you come mm -hmm. in with our fellow investors, uh, you know, stay on top of the latest trends, but, you know, also, you know, use syndicated deals and, you know, use a collective, you know, collective forum, you know, of how, you know, it's all, you know, again, built on top of technology, you know, and, uh, you know, building up, you know, a repository, you know, and using, harnessing the power of, you know, data analytics, intelligence and learning AIML, right? So yep. even at NextCube, that's what we are doing. You know, we are, we have built our own house, you know, uh, intelligent engine, you know, it's homegrown, uh, what should I say, proprietary system. But then, you know, we partner with about, you know, 200 plus other, you know, we have what's called an investor advisory board. We have close to 100 plus institutional investors, you oh, know, wow. whom we work with. We share intelligence, right. you know, we, you know, look at, you know, their due diligence, you know, uh, analytics framework, you know, we share each other's, you know, due diligence, uh, you know, paperwork, et cetera. So, you know, that gives, of course, you know, you have to be, you know, part of a paid membership in these kind of groups to have that kind mm -hmm. of intelligence. But that's how, you know, you you add, you know, to your collective intelligence. That's what is happening even at Thai Angels, right? So we have, yeah. you know, we're coming together as a team, but then, you know, and that's exactly what you have in mind as well. Yep. With, uh, with uh, Startup Story. Yeah, absolutely. That's the idea that, you know, people need to work together. So uh, the best way to learn is by example, right? So you watch someone else, ask them a bunch of questions. Why did you do that? How did you do that? And then you can sort of start to develop your own investment philosophy uh, and use that collective intelligence to make decisions. Uh, yeah, yep. go ahead. Yep. 
Another important yeah. thing you would also advise investors, you know, always keep on top of trends. Mm. You know, like in today's world, you know, in, in healthcare right now, everything around digital health, telemedicine, telehealth, uh, peer, you know, peer provider, you know, how yeah. healthcare is all about outcome, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know, how the idea is, you know, to keep people out of the hospital. The idea is to keep people, you know, outside of, you know, take it to a point of, you know, quality of life, you know, wellness. And so, you know, the idea is, you know, to keep people away from, you know, going to hospitals, away from, you know, emergency care centers, urgent care, hospitalization, etc. Even for seniors, you know, it's all about harnessing the power, you know, of AI, ML, you know, massive amounts of, you know, of information that has been gathered, you know, in public, private databases, you know, clinical trials, you know, from preclinical all the way to post-clinical, right. all these studies, you know, and, you know, and NIH, you know, and all these cutting edge, you know, university research, you know, from John Hopkins to Duke to Harvard to Stanford, so much information out there, you know, it's all about, you know, putting all of this, you know, integrate all this information that we have had for, you know, for years and decades, and, you know, bring the intelligence out, but drive down the healthcare costs. Yep. And, you know, keep people out of the hospital and have better outcomes. That's on the healthcare side and the payer side. On the drug design, drug discovery side, FDA, you know, one important trend I wanted to tell you, FDA, you know, is trying to, as you know, when I came into healthcare a decade plus ago, it would be $1.5, $1.6 billion over 10 years for a drug to go from, you know, cradle to grave. Right. Right. Either you go from cradle to heaven or you go from cradle to grave. <laughs> one of the three. Right. right. So today, you know, that, you know, that cost is touching $2.5 to $3 billion for a yeah. patent drug. But FDA, you know, is now harnessing the power of digital, you know, platforms, AI, ML, cloud, you know, deep analytics, predictive analytics, you know, computer vision, you know, all this, you know, massive, you know, genomics and, uh, you know, bioinformatics and uh, trends analysis, uh, predictive analytics, uh, and, you know, so all of this, you know, and they are training their physicians. We are seeing a lot of MDs going into in the business side. We're having, you know, a lot of people from FDA, you know, now going and working in the field. Mm-hmm. In that case, an example, you know, is what has happened in the last year. In nine months, we've had three drugs in the U.S. that have come to market for COVID. Yep, exactly. You know, it would take five years or longer. Yep. We have Moderna's medicine, Pfizer, BioNTech, and J&J just J&J. happened last month. Yep. And then in Europe, it was AstraZeneca. Yep. So in nine, yeah, in yeah, just about a year, you know, I think worldwide now we have, I don't know, probably half a billion people already vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely which is incredible. It's all technology. 
Incredible. incredible. I'm not saying IT alone, right? It's a whole slew of technologies. Right. Biotech, yeah. bioinformatics, genomics. Yeah. AI, yeah. ML, genomics, AI. I think, is a huge plus too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all of these, uh, the, the med tech field, maybe not med tech, maybe medicine as a whole, is such a vibrant field. There are so many new innovations happening, so many new companies that are coming in. Um, yeah, it's uh, the best thing an investor can do is obviously educate themselves and stay on yep. top of trends, like you said. Yeah, uh, fantastic at, advice. Diversify your assets too. You know, yep. like we did not even talk about, you know, the future of work. We did not talk about, <laughs> you know, because the way we work today, you know, uh, yep. uh, logistics, supply chain is going to be transformed. Absolutely, absolutely. Just this past year, you know, uh, literally 12 months ago, barely a handful of people had heard of Zoom. And today, everyone's on Zoom, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, same thing goes for Slack and all of these other uh, remote working tools. Yeah. $27 billion acquisition. Incredible, right? Incredible. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, so a uh, lot of innovation happening. So I guess investors, the best thing you, you, they can do is educate themselves. Cybersecurity um, is another, cybersecurity. Yeah. Now everybody being remote, yeah, that, that's a huge field. And um, all, the, all the issues we've had, right? You know, yeah. the Microsoft hack two weeks ago and before that, you know, uh, the... Uh, the fire, what, what is it? The fire eye? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why am I backing out? Storm, uh, storm mines? Storm, uh, I'm, I'm blanking out. Um, Cyber security. <laughs> fire eye is one. Fire eye is right. Fire eyes. That's what I was but thinking. The company about. whose software was hacked, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, I, solar winds. Solar wind. There you go. Solar wind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, and, and uh, there's uh, so many uh, changes that are coming down this bike. You know, a lot of these are software, but now we're starting to also see some hardware hacks that are coming through yeah. and people actually changing chips and things like that. So, yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting future. Absolutely. Um, let's uh, let's end the interview with an action step for uh, for founders and for startups. You know, they when founders are looking for their investor, looking for the uh, either the anchor investor or are looking for additional investors. If they come to you, what is the most important thing that they need to have? They, this is a box that they have to check before they even contact you. Because if it's not checked, you're not even going to reply to their email. What is that most important thing for you? Uh, do your research. Investors are becoming extremely sophisticated, you know, because of technology. The world of investing, investing is becoming more and more niche. Mm -hmm. now, to give an example, now we are getting into investors, investors you know, who are only doing cybersecurity. There are investors who are only doing med devices. Yeah. There are investors in fintech who are only wanting to do uh, 
blockchain mm -hmm. or they only want to do AI, ML and uh, cloud. Yep. When I came to Nextcube, we were doing A to Z in tech. Yep. Now we are only doing four or five. So investors yep. are becoming very sophisticated to, to going back for startups. I, you know, I would, I'm, I'll, I'll send you an email, you know, I would, this was done by John Doerr, John Doerr and Guy Kawasaki, you know, who started Garage Ventures. Yep. They have 10 to 12, you know, critical, you know, fundamental dimensions, you know, or essential points that every startup should look at, no matter what stage you're in. It could be, you know, pre-seed or you could be series C. Right. Those 10 steps never stop. They always have to look at it. But do, do your homework and target your investors. The way investors target startups, yep. startups should target investors. Absolutely. And that, look at their thesis and look for what they bring more than money. They should bring yep. you know, strategic value, operations, execution, customer access. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think the biggest thing is that if you study your industry as a founder, if you study your industry, you see all of these trends, it will actually better prepare you to take advantage of the product you're developing. You'll be able to see things that other cannot see. And when you're talking to these investors now, I, I know Nextcube is, you know, you said they're focusing in on four industries, but now uh, all of the, even the larger VCs have specialized teams for each industry, right? So exactly. if, if you go to them, they will say, oh, you're AIML, you talk to, you know, John Smith, because John Smith is an expert in AIML. And if you are not an expert in AIML, you'll be discovered like that. That's right. And then you forget uh, forget uh, yep. your chances of getting an investment. Yep. That's research not companies, research the focus areas, and research people in the firms. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The more you great know, advice. Everything, everything is at the fingertips these days. Everything is in LinkedIn. It's on the website. Things are, you know, you Google, you get yep. hundreds of, you know, hits. Yep. The exactly. information is out there, you know, so do research and use your networks. Yep. And, yeah, so be, and keep networking. Networking is very important. Yep. And there are industry-specific publications. So read yep. those and uh, make yep. sure you know exactly what's going on. Yep. And research people. Like, let's say, you know, people, yeah. I'm a startup and, you know, I'm going to come to Dhawal. Dhawal is a venture partner. You're one of the GPs and I have to do full research. You know, the more I know about you, yep. the better, right? You know, I, I've exactly. got to see which panels you are in, what papers you've published, you know, what's, uh, venture capitalists are thought leaders, you know, look at, you know, you know, what resonates with them, right? You know, you have to yep. connect and, you know, try to speak to your audience. Basically, you're performing. Exactly. To me, yep. it's like I'm on, a startup guy, you know, it's like I'm on, I'm on Broadway. I'm performing to my audience. Right. If I don't perform, you know, I'm going to be a flop. Right. If the investor doesn't make that connection right away, then that's it. That's right. There's, there's no reply to the email. There's no second chance. Yep. I, I'll be a one movie. I won't be a one movie wonder. I'll be a one movie uh, disaster. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, great, great point. And uh, 
Raghu, thank you so much for taking the time today. I, I know we went a little bit over on time, but I, you're giving such great advice. I, I didn't want to stop you. So uh, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and uh, for doing the interview and sharing your wisdom with the audience. Um, any parting thoughts? Anything you want to leave us with? Dhawal, it's been an absolute honor, an absolute privilege, and I look forward, you know, to to building our, you know, friendship, you know, with you, with you know, Startup Steroid and the wonderful companies, you know, you're bringing, and you know, I would love to, you know, help you, you know, in scaling and growing Startup Steroid and uh, Thai uh, Southwest LA as well as a uh, Thai uh, fund in, uh, you know. That Thai angel uh, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're, I'm going to take you up on all of those offers. <laughs> I'll be calling you. Uh, yep. Thank you so much, Raghu. Uh, talk soon. Yep. Have a, have a good Bye. Sunday.